I didn't even get the words out of my mouth and Ethan Crumlick was down on his seat so fast. I don't even know what to do with that. That was, that was incredible. I'm going to run off that now for the next hour and a half, which is going to be the length of this sermon. Um, you know, it's funny when I say that nobody cheers, you know. Grab your Bibles, go John chapter 10. If you are new with us, you don't have your Bible, that's okay. You can also grab your device. You can go to Bible Gateway and look up John 10 on the ESV version, or you can go to the U version of the ESV version app and get us there. Um, I'm usually not quite this casual if you're new here on a Sunday, but I am not far off, okay? Just heads up with that. John chapter 10. Working our way through the Gospel of John. Going to take a break. Uh, I mentioned this last week. In June and July of this year, we'll pick it back up in August. It'll take us right up to uh, the beginning of December when we will dive into an Advent series like we always do. John 10, verses 1 through 18. I'm just going to start now in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Jesus is speaking now. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. This is the Lord's word for us today. So Jesus calls himself, as we've seen these last 18 verses, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and offers abundant life to those who enter his sheepfold. Remember the, the last chapter, last week, when the Pharisees, and this is, this is who Jesus continues to debate with. This is who he's arguing with. This is who he's battling with. This is who he's teaching. 
And we remember last chapter when the Pharisees were trying to find all these alternate solutions for how the man who had been cured of his blindness um, was, was actually how that happened. They wanted to figure out how did this guy become cured of his blindness. They couldn't believe they wouldn't accept that Jesus had, had healed him. And then we remember the man ended up saying, when the Pharisees brought him before them like twice, as well as his parents, asking the question, how did you be, how do, how do you see? Were you actually even blind in the first place? And the guy's like, yeah, I was born blind. And the parents said, yeah, he's our kid. He was born blind. How did you see? And remember, the only thing the man can say is, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. Like this dude comes up, he makes a paste out of mud, puts it on my eyes, speaks some words to me, and now I see. What we see and what we're going to see really today as we unpack this a little bit is how the Pharisees treated this man. How the Pharisees treated the people that they were charged, that they were put in charge over um, in general, which is that they, they led with a, a level of leadership that we would we would uh, uh, define as, as hateful and, and abusive, right? There was no love for the people that they were over. There was no protection for the people that they had been given to oversee. It was an incredibly dysfunctional relationship in that sense. And then in contrast, you see here, reading these words from Jesus, is that Jesus leads a little bit differently. Jesus leads like a shepherd who cares for his sheep with love, with protection. There was a Mount Everest-sized difference between the Pharisees and Jesus. And Jesus keeps pointing this out over and over and over again. Um, it'll be 39 years ago this September and it pains me to say that when I was 14 years old and I met a guy named Bill Corson, who uh, for the next oh, five or six years became uh, my youth pastor at a church that I had been involved with for quite a while. And he was also a, he also led on in his, in his spare time because he just did this on the side. Uh, he led a SWAT team. Um, none of us ever did anything bad, you know, in his, in his youth group. Um, I got to tell you that. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that, right? So sort of the caricature of a guy who led a team like that, you would think, oh my gosh, you know? And he was just um, one of the kindest, gentlest, um, just um, caring people to this day that I've ever known, I've ever met. He, he had such a, just a, sort of a profound shaping on my life in, in those years, which again, if you've, if you've been 14 or if you are 14, these are confusing times for us, right? And, um, and yet he, um, he dealt with me and my friends and just this really large youth group that he just, again, worked part-time at. He, uh, he treated us like the way we're going to get the, the, the sense of here, the way Jesus treats his sheep, like a shepherd. He was a shepherd to us. He guided us. He was patient with us. He was tender-hearted with us. And let me just tell you, we would have been the, the hardest people in the world for him to be all those things too. And yet he led like a shepherd. Uh, at some point he had to leave. He was uh, relocated in his job up to Seattle from California. And then they had another guy come in to replace him. And it was somebody that was already on the church staff. But this was an individual who wasn't necessarily a bad guy, but he did not have a heart for... Uh, for the, the, you know, the, the kids, 
the teenagers, um, you know, the youth of the church. And there was such a marked difference, such a marked difference between these guys. Um, whereas Bill would just spend so much time caring for us, calling us, spending time with us, um, being intentional about, you know, asking what, we're going, what was going on in our lives and how he could pray for us. We never heard from this other guy. It just wasn't his thing. It wasn't a fit for him. I remember um, only a few years ago getting a call from Bill Corson. Oh, my gosh. All these years later. Ronnie, it's Bill. As if we had just been talking like every day. He goes, I just want to check in with you and see how you're doing. I said, well, dude, I planted a church. I'm not doing that great, to be honest with you. And um, he said, well, let's talk about it. I want to hear what's going on. He goes, I've been a part of a couple church plans since I moved to Seattle. And we, we talked for a couple of hours. I was so encouraged. It was like nothing ever changed. Why? Um, because he was a shepherd. He had a shepherd's heart. And all these years later, that hadn't changed. And I was still being cared for by him. And what we see here today in these verses is we see the way that Jesus leads, right? Because we all want that kind of a leader. We all need that kind of a leader. You need that kind of a leader in your life. You need a shepherd leader. You need someone who cares deeply about what it is that you are facing in just the heaviness of your life. And what Jesus is pointing out here is there is a marked difference between the kind of leader that he was and the kind of people that had been leading the people. So this is what we're going to do. I want to take a look at some of the, specifically, some of the names that Jesus uses to describe the kind of leadership, the kind of relationship that he had with his people. And the first one that we see is that Jesus calls himself the door. He calls himself the door. He uses this imagery of being the door by which the sheep enter the sheepfold. As I was doing a little research on this, what I discovered was that a sheepfold, um, you know, where sheep were gathered into a secure place, a walled place, they, they wouldn't necessarily like have a door the way that we think of it, a door that we open and close, but the shepherd would serve literally as the door. And what that means is he would literally lay him or herself across the threshold of the opening to the sheepfold. And this would do a couple things. This would keep the sheep from being able to get out. It was, a, it was a form of protection for them so that they wouldn't get out, as well as keep predators from getting in. And so to, to enter or to exit the sheepfold, you needed to literally go through the shepherd because he or she literally was the door. And so we get this imagery of Jesus saying, I am the door. This is the way in which the sheep enter. You can't enter into the sheephold unless you go through me. So when Jesus says these famous lines, like we learn about in John 14, 6, when he says, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. We understand it in this sense that he is the way in which we come to God. Jesus is the door. It also helps us understand that those who are not of God, the thieves and the robbers, how he describes those other people that he's not so subtly calling thieves and robbers, right? They try to enter through some other way. They're not getting into the sheepfold through the door. And in fact, uh, it, it, is, it is their intention to come another way in order to 
rob the sheep, in order to take from the sheep, in order to harm the sheep. And this helps us discern a couple of things as we think of Jesus as the door, calling himself the door. Number one, it helps us discern, check this out, that Jesus-like movements, movements that appear to be like Jesus or influenced by Jesus, uh, can turn out to be counterfeit approaches to God. Right? Jesus says, look, this is it. To get to God, you come through me. Don't be fooled by people who serve you a healthy dose of religion or, or serve you a healthy dose of things that sound Christianese. But if you just unpack them, if you just pull one layer from them, you're going to find out that they don't lead to me and through me at all. So understanding Jesus as the door helps us to discern that, that there are counterfeit approaches to God and that we should be guarded against those approaches, those movements, right? And they can come in all kinds of different shapes and forms. They can come through the church. They can come through politics. They can come through all these different things that say, hey, this is the way. Go this way. Jesus is saying, you can, but it's not going to lead to me. It's not going to lead to God because it's not through me. Does that make sense? The other thing is this. It also helps us discern Jesus-like people. So not just the movements and the approaches, but the people who attempt to persuade or control or perpetuate fear among God's people by saying, no, 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 no. You, you got to do it like this. You got to go this way. And we see leaders like this who, who, who promise things, who promise freedom by promoting ideologies, promoting beliefs that have the appearance of godliness like Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 5, but deny its power. Paul tells Timothy, avoid such people because what they're attempting to do is they're attempting you to bring, bring you to Jesus through some way that can't lead to Jesus, right? It's like calling up the GPS like I do. Dunkin' Donuts, right? How do I get to the nearest Dunkin'? Let's just pretend I'm not in Ashland, Right? And me looking at that and literally just going the opposite way. It said, turn left on I-71 and I go right. I know I'm going to get to a Dunkin' eventually. But it's not, the one that I, it's not the one that I typed in. And we do that. We let approaches, we let movements, we let people say, get to get to God, to get to the things of God, go this way. And Jesus is saying, there's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end, it leads to death. Why? Because it's not Jesus, dude. That's why. It's not Jesus. This means Christians need to be the most, follow me here, discerning people on the planet when it comes to our leaders. I'm one of your leaders. Be discerning. When it comes to your politicians, when it comes to your teachers, when it comes to your pastors, when it comes to your local official, it doesn't, whoever, whoever it is that, that carries a, a position and a place of authority in your life, it's important that you as Christians are discerning, right? It's important that you're discerning. Yes, we must submit to those who God places in authority over us. Granted, that's scriptural, 
but we also need to make sure that they don't use our beliefs to manipulate us, even though they don't hold to them in the slightest. By the way, I'm not, spe- I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not speaking in doublespeak right now. Take all that at face value. Apply that in whatever place you need to apply that in your life where you see a people or a movement that might claim to be the door to Jesus and it's sort of, it, it has some, some remnants of looking like that, but it's not. And it might even be tempting, but it's not. It might be appealing, but it's not. Be discerning, right? Be discerning. Um, so when you step back, and you look at all the areas in your life in which you are striving, right? All the areas, and we'll just use the word doors, all the doors in your life of which you are entering and exiting constantly. Those doors in your life that you are striving for greater hope, for greater spiritual insight, greater peace, greater purpose, greater belonging, you need to discern if those doors you keep entering into are actually Jesus because he's the only door that leads to abundant life, right? If they're not Jesus, they're doors that can lead to Jesus-like things in your life that will disappoint on the minor end of things and ultimately do just much damage to your soul. Jesus said right here, I am the door. This is the place where he welcomes his sheep. This is the place where his sheep know his name, like we read in verse four. Imagine when we walk through that door, the difference. Imagine being known at this deep, as this intimate, at this intricate of a level. It's terrifying, actually until you realize that if you are known by Jesus to this degree, you have already been accepted by him to the greatest degree imaginable. What Jesus is trying to say is that the way I lead is like a shepherd, which means I know you, you know me, and there is a closeness that is happening there that is deeper than any kind of closeness that you can possibly fathom. David writes about this. Let's turn to Psalm 139. You want to make a hard left. Go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 139. Look at the way David describes this closeness and this intimacy that Jesus is describing himself to have as our shepherd. Psalm 139. I'm going to read as you get there. Verse 15, he says, the psalmist writes, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Then in verse 16, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. This is what Jesus is driving at when he says, I am the door and those who come through me get to enjoy me, be known by me and know me because this is the way to everlasting life. Amen. So Jesus describes himself as the door. Secondly, Jesus calls his people sheep. He calls his people sheep. 
you have to be a sheep in order to develop a relationship with a shepherd, right? So a, a shepherd has sheep. He, he doesn't have dogs. He doesn't have cats. She doesn't have horses. She has sheep. And so we get this imagery of Jesus being a shepherd, and he's not just a shepherd, he's a good shepherd. He's not just a good shepherd, but he leads sheep. Psalm 77, 20, you led your people like a flock, the psalmist writes. So all through scripture, we're, we're meant to get this image of God, of Christ being a shepherd, but also that we are sheep. Man, I don't just identify with that on Monday morning when I'm feeling groggy. You know, that's not the first thing that comes into my mind. The, the shepherd also calls them by name. So you're not just sheep one, two, A, B, and C, but he knows you by name. Not only that, but if you are a sheep and your shepherd is Jesus, you hear his voice and you follow him. So there is this relationship that's happening because Jesus is a shepherd and because you are a sheep. Now, a sheep needs some things. Sheep need to be led, sheep need to be fed, and sheep need to be found when they get lost. Here's what I learned about sheep, all right? Number one, they are incredibly needy animals with limited intelligence. I've not a lot of experience with sheep, so I'm just, I did a little more, I didn't just Wikipedia this, I did a little more research, but they are needy animals with limited intelligence. Secondly, they tend to wander. Sheep tend to wander. Thirdly, they are simultaneously timid and stubborn. That only reminds me of every human being I've ever met in my life, okay? Fourthly or fifthly, I don't remember the number one here. They are frightened by the smallest things. And then finally, they are absolutely defenseless. At one point, you're like, God, why did you make them? Why did you make these animals? I'd love to get the insight into that, you know? Maybe someday in glory. Jesus is like this. There is no other creature in the animal kingdom that better describes you people. Right? And by the way, if you don't like being called a sheep, I get it, right? But it's the animal Jesus uses to describe you. And if you want to argue with that, you, you probably just sound like a sheep, if sheep could argue, right? Um, but here's how we might summarize sheep if we want to go a little, little wider. Sheep are absolutely lost. They're lost unless they have a shepherd, right? And then they are loved and then they are valued and then they are cared for and then they are protected. So Jesus is not denigrating his church by comparing them to sheep. Listen, he's pointing out that it's the neediness and the general nature of the sheep that makes the relationship with them and their shepherd so incredibly vital. Listen, the Bible doesn't say we like apex predators have gone astray. That's a verse. It says we like sheep have gone astray. Everywhere in scripture you see us described as sheep. Right? We are sheep, but there's something more significant about the fact that we are sheep. It's that we are sheep who have shepherds, which is the most significant thing about us. It's not that we're sheep, it's that we have shepherds. It's how we identify ourselves. We have Christ 
who is our good shepherd, who laid down his life to give us not just life, he says here, but an abundant life, like we read here in verse 10. Now, when we say the word abundant, we should probably talk about what that word means, right? Because we can just kind of throw that out there. And when we say abundant, we need to say, what do you mean? What do you mean when you say the word abundant? Because we can step back and say, Jesus, when you say abundant life, um, I'm not sure I understand. And what we want to understand about that is that it doesn't mean a life absent of trouble. It doesn't mean a life absent of pain. It doesn't mean a life absent of mental, physical, or emotional upheaval. What it means is that if Jesus is your shepherd, it means that you are known, you are carried, you are nurtured, you are not alone, you are loved, you are listened to. It means that if the entire world abandoned you, and sometimes the entire world abandons you, it would mean you would still be less alone than a world without a shepherd. Of course, this is in direct contrast to the Pharisees who Jesus compares to thieves and robbers that came to kill, steal, and destroy, like we read in verse 10. Jesus is saying, look, these Pharisees, they're not to be trusted. They are not shepherds. They are serpents. They are nothing like me, the good shepherd who leads, who feeds, who protects and nurtures his sheep. Let me go back to that part about the abundant life again because some of you are in places of desolation. Some of you are in places of depletion. Some of you are in places of scarcity, which would probably be how you would describe the opposite of abundant. And yet, what we see here when we look at what Jesus is trying to describe as his character towards those he shepherds is one that indicates a particular kind of closeness and a particular kind of knowledge and a particular level of understanding of everything you are, everything you're becoming, all that you experience, and what it's like to live in a world where your future feels uncertain. That's the kind of abundant life that Jesus describes. Since you are a sheep and he is a shepherd. And here's the third part is that Jesus doesn't call himself just a shepherd, but a good shepherd. He uses the imagery to describe himself and his relationships to his sheep by saying, look, I'm your shepherd, but I'm also a good shepherd. And we should just pause for a moment, I think, and maybe reflect on that phrase, good shepherd. Because again, he didn't merely say shepherd, but he added the word good. And by the way, the word good here could also be translated as beautiful. I am the beautiful shepherd. We remember in Matthew chapter 9, 36, when it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Whenever I read that verse, I go, I wonder who he's talking about. You know? Oh, he's talking about me. The harassed and helpless sheep. Right? We remember from Psalm 23 that the good shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures, leads us beside still waters, leads us down paths of righteousness, remains with us through the dark valleys, and restores our souls. 
Jesus says in verse 11, I lay down my life for the sheep. I know my own and my own know me, he says in verse 14. I'm not, I'm not this outside shepherding company, right, that was contracted to come in and then abandon you all at the first sign of danger or trouble. That's what these counterfeit shepherds do. That's what these false shepherds do. That's what these people who don't enter in by me, by the door, do to you. I am with you always, Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 20. I will never leave you or forsake you, we are told in Hebrews 13, 5. I will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, we are told in 1 Peter 5, 10. This is the heart of Jesus for his sheep. He's not just a shepherd. He wasn't just hired in from the outside. He's there on his own accord. He came for a reason. He came for a purpose. He came for the love that he has as a good shepherd for his sheep. He reminds me of my old youth pastor, Bill Corson, who was there because he wanted to be there. He wasn't getting paid. The dude worked a full-time job as a, for the SWAT team. He was there because he loved us. He was there because he cared about us. There was something supernatural in the care that he had. Why? Well, because it had Jesus running through it, right? And then, of course, Jesus reminds us here that his sheep would be coming in from other folds. This is important for us to, to uh, point out because this is where we have all come from, right? When Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When he said, for God so loved the world in John 3, 16, he was saying that God was not just thinking about the Israelites when he sent Jesus, but he's including all nations, all tribes, all tongues that would hear the voice of Jesus and come into the sheepfold so that everybody in the sheepfold was united. Everybody in the sheepfold is one. So this imagery of Jesus as a shepherd is not only, it's not only beautiful and intimate in how it describes Jesus' relationship with us personally. It's also a way for us to see that his plan includes Many that exist outside of the walls of Substance Church. Many nations, many ethnicities, many people groups. So we get this sense of Jesus as the door. We understand our place within that as his sheep who are cared for, who are nurtured, who are loved, who are protected. We get this sense of Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd because he's beautiful and his care for us and his love for us and his commitment to us is unwavering. It's how we would describe things that are beautiful in our lives. So let me finish with this. Why is this imagery of Jesus as the good shepherd, why is it so important for our lives? Why does it matter to you sitting here on May 30th, 2023? A couple of things. It matters, number one, because you are a sheep. It matters because you are a sheep. You need to remember who you are. I need to remember who I am. I need to receive the hope that comes with understanding my position as sheep in his pasture. Because again, the most significant thing about me is not that I'm a sheep. It's that I have a shepherd and that he's a good shepherd and that I get to exist in his sheepfold and wander through the pastures that he guides and he leads me through. That's the most significant thing about me. That's why it, it's important for us to remember Jesus as the good shepherd. 
All that's required is to see your need for him. We just sang, in come ye sinners. It's also important, number two, because you can't always discern the danger that lurks around you, that exists around you. So what do you do? You keep your eyes on the shepherd who helps guard against wolves in sheep's clothing, both externally and the wolves in your own heart, internally, right? It's not always just out there. In fact, it's primarily in here that we need to guard ourselves against, right? We keep our eyes on the shepherd because sometimes wolves in sheep's clothing are shepherds as well. Karen Swallow Pryor, a writer, professor, made that comment. She said, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. She also said, beware of shepherds in sheep's clothing. That's significant, right? The people that lead us, the people that look a certain way, appear a certain way, appeal to us in a certain way. But if you unclothe them, they're wolves. But we need the good shepherd because sometimes our discernment is off. And we need the discernment of God's word. We need the discernment of our church community to help us spot and detect and discern those who want to come in and take and steal. And then third and finally, being, understanding Jesus as the good shepherd is important because you often feel unloved and uncared for. And your feelings don't accurately, uh, accurately reflect reality. Right? These passages show us that Jesus' relationship, his provision and heart for you is true. He laid down his life so that he might take it up again, it says in verse 17. He did it willingly with the authority of God the Father for the redemption of your soul. And this is where we get into the goodness of Jesus. This is where we get into the beauty of Jesus. And this is why beauty matters. This is why Jesus describing himself as the good, as the beautiful shepherd matters. Because he embodies, he images all that is good. When we look at Jesus, we see all that is good and beautiful. We have something to compare everything else against, right? You have Jesus. You have the door. You have somebody who willingly laid down his life for you. But by the way, he's not untouchable. He's not untouchable like a, like a piece of art in a museum which is just untouchable. Stay away from it, right? Shepherds get close to their sheep and their shepherd is closer than we can possibly fathom. So let me just finish with that this morning. That Jesus is closer to you than you can possibly imagine right now if you are one of his sheep. He is the door. He is the beautiful shepherd who laid down his life for you. All the stuff in your life that you don't have figured out, all the sheep-like qualities in your life that threaten to just define you and to crush you are held together in the hands of the good and beautiful shepherd. You have more hope than you can even fathom 
You have more hope than what is even able for you in your brain to comprehend or imagine because you don't just have a shepherd. You have the good and the beautiful shepherd who protects you, who secures you, who guards you, who saves you, who loves you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Christ, the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd. Lord, I pray that these words, you would press them deep into our hearts so that we walk away today with a vision of Jesus, with the description that Jesus gave himself as our good shepherd, understanding that we are like sheep and that we are people who need all the shepherding qualities that describe and that embody Jesus. Lord, I pray for that abundant life that comes through him. Lord, I pray that you would grant us this morning just refreshment and renewal in how it is that we see Jesus, how we understand Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would walk away with a deeper appreciation, a deeper love. Lord, that you would fill us with hope. Some of us are facing horrendous things right now. Incredibly just difficult, difficult trials, temptations. Lord, I pray that you would call us in to your sheepfold once again. You would remind us of your care, your nurturing. Lord, you would forgive us as we come before you in honest repentance. Lord, that you would restore us. That's your promise to us, Lord, and I pray that we would go before you, ask for these things, receive these things. And Lord, let these things be a balm to our soul again today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.